mist, rainwater. Hey there, Jal. This is round three of talking about talking. <laughs> as soon as you said, I was like, I don't remember what we're supposed to be talking about. <laughs> we're just we, here. <laughs> we tonight we're talking about the art of language or choosing right. choosing your words carefully not necessarily yeah. dialogue but just words in general when you're writing whether it's descriptive action um adjectives uh in a case that i know you're going to bring bring up uh advertising copy yeah, um yeah choosing the word the correct word is an art form in itself because oh yeah if you choose the wrong word you could go the entire opposite way of your intention. Even if yep. that word is within the realm of, like, if it's a, um, uh, a synonym, it could still fuck up everything yeah. very easily. Yeah. And I've been wanting to talk about this for a while. I don't remember what spurred it into my brain as to use it for a topic, but the moment I saw you went on like a fucking Twitter rant and then you yeah. did like a YouTube video on it. What started Your... it for me was, for um, so this was last week, I think I'm mm. trying to find the picture cause I can't quite remember the actual phrasing, but something about a side hustle. So web, um, had done this series of posters that they were putting up, um, like in subways and stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. for bigger cities because they want to advertise their app and they're trying to get the word out. And uh, most of them nobody has any issue with, but then there's this one that they put up that read something like um, literature's, it was something like literature's favorite side hustle. Mm -hmm. And they were trying to describe comics, right? And uh, people such as myself are not even in my position, people who are like what are called like Webtoon's canvas creators. So Webtoon kind of has this thing where they have people like me who are they call original artists. In other words, mm. we have a contract with them to produce stories and they pay for the stories we produce. Uh, the canvas artists are more like with YouTube where it's just like you just upload it and it goes where it goes. There are a lot of artists who post stuff on up on webtoon and they're not making a dime from anything they're posting because they're just they're not getting the followers they're not getting the you know the traction that they would need to get ad revenue mm. they uh, a lot of them got very upset with webtoon about it because mm. they got upset particularly with the wording side hustle mm. webtoon could have you like they could have done so many other different ways of saying what they were trying to say but the fact that they called comics like literature's side, uh, whatever they said, it was like literature's side hustle, basically. Mm -hmm. Those are the key words that you need to take away from this, right? To understand, like, what pissed everybody off. Um, because, speaking from personal experience, um, it's not a side hustle, it's a more than a full day job. It's, you know, like, I, I, I work probably five to eight hours every single day, no weekends, and I make maybe minimum wage type pay. And I'm, we're talking about people who are like, a lot of these canvas people, they're, they're probably doing, you know, they get off of work and they maybe work five hours every night 
right? And they're not making any money, and they're getting kind of called a side hustle. Like, mm. you know what? I'm not making money from doing this. This isn't really a side hustle. This is a passion project. This is, you know, calling. This is something I'm doing out of the, you know, sincere desire. Mm. Get this accomplished. And so, you know, Webtoon and t- typical issues that happen with all corporations issued an apology and you know who knows if they're going to do anything else in regards to how they, they deal with this they have their own issues they're kind of dealing with trying to figure out how to have a better relationship with this but that is basically like you know what for me sparked my original um you know my video that i'd made in in regards to that so like I said, my my personal take on this is like my personal take ultimately was like I was kind of not ironically impressed by Webtoon by admitting that their attitude towards this because it's the attitude that all of these platforms sort of have, which is like, oh, this is a side hustle. If you make it work, you make it work. We're not we're not here to decide whether or not you're going to be like you know, the next Stephen King or whatever, right? Mm. You got to figure that out. We're just building the marketplace. You have to bring the market to actually make that work. Um, that's really frustrating, right? For a lot of people, that's really frustrating because they expect like, oh, I'm going to post things on here. I'll post my videos to YouTube and then I will be, you know, then I'm rich or whatever. You know, I get that YouTube money. Um but that's neither here nor there. The point is, is like, yeah, corporations are not going to like think with you specifically in mind. They're thinking about their audience. They're thinking about, they are thinking about the producers. They're thinking about their ass that they have to save. So like when they're choosing wording, you know, they're, they're trying to think of it from multiple angles. And usually they're trying to think of it from an audience angle. Hmm. Right? They're trying to think of... It's difficult for me to fully understand what went through the the mind of the person who did that, ad, who like came up with the wording for that advertisement. Um, but I'm guessing like part of their logistics was like, well, you know, we're all talking about side hustles. That's the big thing. We're in the gig economy, blah, blah, blah. Um so let's make comics sound cool by calling it a side hustle. And like, that's not how you do it. They because, just grabbed a, like a buzzword out of the ether. Yeah. yeah Cause mm. you know, this isn't fucking Lyft or Uber, right? Like Lyft or yeah. if you, if you do Uber, like you can, you can get paid to do what you're doing very quickly, very easily. Some people do that Lyft and Uber stuff as a side hustle, and some of them do it as like yeah, straight up their job. main hustle. Yeah, yeah absolutely. For sure. Absolutely. Same with DoorDash, same with a lot of those things. Yeah. Um, posting on YouTube or doing on a webtoon is not the same thing because it is a total shot in the dark. Mm. It is an absolute shot in the dark whether or not you will make any money from doing it. Right. It's like going to McDonald's, buying a meal, driving to a random ass house, knocking on the door and says, "Do you want to pay 1250 <laughs> for this McDouble?" <laughs> yeah, someone exactly. being like, "No." And then slamming the door in your face or going, "Yeah." That's that's kind of the equivalent of exactly. of what a lot of people are doing. I get that. Um so when you're saying 
they got upset about the fact that it being hustle side hustle. They were upset about the fact that it's because my interpretation from everything was that side hustle was a demeaning, like a derogative it's, phrase. It's twofold. Literature's side hustle. So right. A, okay. I apologize. This isn't literature. That's the first thing that they're they're mistaken. They they're inadvertently saying right. They didn't mean to say that. Yeah. But they're saying it's literature's side hustle and that it's a side hustle. So a it's less important than literature. And on top of that, it's not even a real job. <laughs> so, it's, <laughs> so it was two middle fingers and not yeah. just one. Okay. Yeah. I got you now. Exactly. That's interesting though that, you know, I mean, we live in a world where you can tweet hello and six people will be offended on the internet. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's going to happen. But the, the weirdest thing is what words can upset people or send people in the wrong direction. Do you know what I mean? So like when I'm working on something, and this is one of the things that I've noticed a lot, I was doing um, a, a redraft of Terror House, the poster that's always hanging behind me. And one of the things that I had did, did at one point, because it wasn't resonating with people who had read Haunted as much as I wanted it to, and I thought to myself, well, something's wrong here. This is a short screenplay, and I got to reevaluate how efficient I am. So what I did was I stripped all of the dialogue out of the screenplay, and I rewrote it just descriptive actions. And I tried to think of pacing and really painting shot for shot what was happening in the actual story. Showed it to the same people. A little while later, they finally got back to me because it's hard enough to get somebody to read a script. It's, it's almost damn near impossible to get them to read it twice. Um, and they came back to me and they said, don't add dialogue. Leave it the way it is because right now it's perfect. I'm like, I'm fucking adding the dialogue back. Leave me alone. But everybody, <laughs> everybody maintained that they had a better understanding of what was happening. And what what I noticed was while rewriting it, the words I was I were using were much more descriptive but also succinct. Sentences did not drag on for giant paragraphs as they had with the with the dialogue. I was getting to the point quicker. And I was doing it more efficiently because I did not have dialogue to reveal certain things or say certain things. I just had to focus on the action and the meat of what was taking place in the scene versus whatever the dialogue was revealing. And it was very eye-opening to me that, that, that choosing the right words is a really big deal. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Because when I write, for, especially for someone like me, I write my scripts that I shoot. I don't ever, I it, I don't, I it's, it'll be a snowball's chance in hell the day I pick up someone else's script to direct and it's not my words on the page. So when I write something, I know what I want in my head and I'm just kind of scribbling something or whatever so people get a general idea when they're reading it, actors or whoever it might be, you know. And I'm not really going into what it's actually going to be because I know what it is and that's all that fucking matters. When I realized, no, it doesn't, it really does matter what the other people are gleaming from what they're reading and choosing better words is an important factor oh, yeah. in that. And that was an eye eye opening to me. So I was curious to, to, to know from you when you're doing stuff like you have editors, obviously, do you have to submit scripts ahead of time before you've driven it? So it's all on you. Okay. Thank God. I, I, uh, <laughs> 
No, I mean, they definitely read over it and will ask me. I've never been asked to make a like a dialogue change other than to fix typos. That has literally been it. Like, I think there was one time I, w I was given a recommendation like, oh, it sounds better if you put it this way, you know. But other than that, like, um, I pretty much submit to the editor a full, like a fully finished, I call it a draft, but it's a fully finished comic, basically. Well. And then what they usually do is just give me suggestions on typos to fix. Um, and then every once in a while, this almost never happens now, but every once in a while there have been some changes to like, uh, you know, oh, maybe maybe if you drew this panel this way or whatever, mm. like add it this or that in the background, yeah. this would read better. Um, you get those more, for, you get more comments probably from readers, right? I Where do. it's like, I, I don't understand what's happening here. Do you ever have situations like that? I, from only from commenters, I've never really gotten that from editors. Um, and you know, sometimes it's, sometimes it's because the readers just aren't paying that much attention, but other sure. times it's, um, you know, there've been a couple of times where it's been like a real legitimate, not unanimous, but there was at least a, a, yeah. a, a fair chunk of readers that were in agreement about something yeah so when you when you have a situation like that you've gone back and edited things before that have been released you george lucas a couple of things correct? oh yeah a couple of things here are and those things are those the kinds of things that you've gone back and fixed or have you have you left those things be no i george lucas some stuff like oh, okay. for sure like the what's so sneaky about it too is there i mean anybody who comes on new right right like anybody who comes to read trailer park world like now who have no idea that there was ever anything else there. So it's like, it's not like, you know, it's not like a Star Wars where there was like the original print or whatever. Yeah. You know, there's no original print necessarily. Nobody's I mean, I, downloaded it? Can you download uh, the stuff you know from what? Save That's it? That's possible, actually. I, I don't think, think anybody's screen capping you, but you never know. Yeah, nobody's screen capping, but they may have downloaded episodes. So it's, po it's totally possible. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I mean, other than, like, the very first story I ever wrote that I put in print, like, literally put in print, that's the only other, like, version of that, basically. I think I have that comic book. Garage Roger? You probably, you talking, you talking well, about? no, there is that, but then I also made a, like, a 16-page floppy of Trailer Park Warlock that... Oh, I don't have that. Yeah, you, I don't know if I made... I don't think I made that many. I kind of gave some away but a lot of them i sold at like uh, i know i bought i know i bought a garage raja but i don't have a, a trailer park warlock first edition not yet i can send Damn. you one there's like <laughs> two left uh i would actually take it but i almost feel like it i'm undeserving of it i feel like somebody else should get that <laughs> um you, you give me the address after the end of this episode and <laughs> don't think that i won't take it i am a hoarder uh, especially of collective type stuff, and Trailer Park Warlock is a great thing. Yeah, you might want to hold on to. Who to knows? Yeah. Who knows what could happen, right? Exactly, <laughs> and uh, yeah, not that I would, but then I then then as your friend though, I can't turn around and hawk it on eBay for like sixty grand or something because that's fucked up. <laughs> I wouldn't care. Use I would to, use it to fund your next <laughs> next film. <laughs> Uh, my next I'd film is going like, to be a lot less than 60 grand. I promise you that. <laughs> um, but anyway, so we're going back to, to talking about the, the language part. 
And I'm I'm curious to know, have you ever noticed like a language like so Tarantino when he uses language, that's like a big thing. And I know you're a Tarantino guy. Yeah. Um, do you ever pull from some of the things from him? Like cuz I know I know for me when I'm writing dialogue, if I really want to hone in on good dialogue, I will watch Aaron Sorkin stuff. A few good men, Moneyball, Newsroom, um, earlier seasons of the West Wing, things like that, because that man has has my, the dialogue that I love. But the way he chooses words and arranges them to me is so it's it's stylistically natural. It's yeah. it's so weird because people don't talk like that. But when you watch it, you don't think that people don't talk like that. And that's it's a beautiful thing to me. So I'm curious to know from you when you're choosing words. When you write stuff, are you just writing what you're hearing in your head? Like, are you talking? Is it just Rainwater's style of speaking? Or are you being more selective? Are you trying to be influenced by other things? How do you go about choosing words? I definitely try and be selective and try and also... Try and also have a dialect for each character, right? Mm. Because it's very easy. I don't know. I've read a lot of comics where... A lot they of the all time, sound the same. Yeah, they all do yeah. sound the same, and it's yep. because the writers just kind of, they're just blurting out what comes into their head immediately, yep. and so it takes one aspect of depth from that character, right? Like, for me, it's like I think very um, deeply about like how each character is going to talk and how that's going to reflect them from what you know, like the culture that they've grown up in, or like where particularly they're from in the world and so it's very easy when you have like somebody who has more like a country accent kind of or like a rural accent thing going on but then you have to think more in depth when it's like subtle when it's more subtle right Mm. like i have i have two characters who are more like um they're basically like magical fbi agents they're the only two characters that really talk with any sort of just like straightforward like this is just kind of my brain thinking talking and even then i try and make sure that they have particular particularities to their speech like they're the only two characters in the story that ever like really say stuff like jesus christ or oh my god or it's just kind of like more of a pinpointing to them having sort of a a more conventional um affect you kind of yeah okay yeah in you you don't really have to do a lot, I feel like, to create a de- depth in a character in the words that you choose. You really just have to choose a couple of particular, like maybe one or two things, you know, in the way that somebody, it could be the way that somebody arranges a sentence, right? Obvious example is like Yoda, right? Sure. That was like, Yoda isn't saying anything particularly wild wise. yeah no it just, just sounds wise because he says it backwards exactly it's just the way that it's arranged like mm. he's not using anything verbose or like crazy at all whereas you know you compare that to um you know uh, let's say somebody like darth vader who like he doesn't say a lot but when he mm. says something and has a lot of impact because he talks about he'll talk about something that is very important to him and so you get a sense that him as a character, he's completely engaged on what is the most, like what is the most first priority thing to take care of, right? 
You're never gonna hear a Darth Vader. I mean, you know, play, there's no play monologues. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And people play it up as like jokes because it's it's so obvious, right? Like, here's this character. Here's what he talks about. Here's what you expect him to say. And so, and within that range, also there are particular words you're not gonna hear Darth Vader say, right? No. He's not gonna say anything fucking cute. It's just like not a thing that's gonna bubble gum lollipop. <sighs> yeah, it's not happening. Is that that's, that's important when when discussing language. You know what I mean? Is the words you don't say sometimes are the ones that the audience hears the loudest. Yeah, you know what I'm absolutely. saying? Like it's like an off-screen character almost. So, um, that's interesting. I've done that a lot where I've gone in and I've, you know restricted things on on rewrites where i've you know i've clearly overstepped the dialogue sometimes where it's like characters saying oh, look over there whereas you know they don't need to look all look over there or they don't need to say that when i've written in an action line you know a tree a tree branch breaks over to the left and every one of their heads look that way no one needs to say look over there because the audience is like it's just another ro- speed bump getting your reader to where they want to go and where you want them to go. Yeah. And it's, it's just unnecessary. I've noticed a lot that when I am doing action and dial or not, uh, not dialogue action, descriptive type stuff. I actually don't go too far into detail because that seems to be a problem with like the prose. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody like gets really flowery with their language and they, you just can't, you, you're already 10 steps ahead of them before they finish the sentence. Yeah, yeah. And that really drives me nuts when I'm reading other people's work. And that's why I found myself not doing it. And then I've gotten people say, well, you know, I didn't know that the, the jack-o'-lantern had this weird, you know, contorted thing to it or something like that. And I was like, oh, well. I didn't, I didn't figure I'd bother you with it. And people were like, well, that's shit I need to know. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So I found myself over-censoring my language. Well, that's, I mean, that's a whole, because you've talked about this before in the past, because it, it almost is kind of a, as I've understood it with script writing, it's been kind of a rule that you don't, you don't go into too much detail about no what's going on the scene. But, you know, there are things, especially... And kind of what you're saying is like, if it be if it impinges on the plot, right? Yeah. If it's something that directly impacts something that happens to a character, you got to make that detail known, right? Right. You got to make you got to make it known somehow, even if it's not, you know, uh, uh, spending a page going on about it, right? right. And, um, that's, and that's really the thing is because you also have to keep in mind. I think I've brought this up before, but I use this analogy a lot when I go, talk to other people about their writing. Um, it doesn't matter when you so like if you're writing a Christmas story and you are on page one and you talk about the snowflake lights that somebody has hanging off of their house and this and that it doesn't fucking matter if you wrote snowflake lights because the production designer and the director and it, to some extent, the cinematographer, because that's lighting, are all going to be like, no, I don't want that. I want, you know, LED multicolor lights. They're not going to be snowflakes. So it doesn't fucking matter, because that's the thing about filmmaking yeah. is very collaborative. However, if you write, you know, inflatable Santa Clauses and snowmen line the lawn, 
And later on in the script, there's a scene where they're deflated during the day because the power's off. And it looks like a massacre where they've all been murdered and they're all like laying and draped over and stuff like that. And a little kid on a school bus breaks out crying. That's important to note. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so in, in one instance, you would just write Christmas lights line the houses. That's a, that's enough. In the other instance, you have to write, you know, Christmas lights and Christmas inflatables of characters line the lawn. And that's important. So it's it's important knowing this goes also back to the setup and payoffs that we talked about in a uh, past episode. That's really the, the the crux of screenwriting is that if there if, if it's there, there better be a reason for it plot or character wise later on. Oh, yeah. Or even sure. right now, for that matter. But uh, th- that's the thing that I find that a lot of problems is, is that people, a lot of writers come from things like novel writing or manuscripts yeah. and stuff like that. And that they live in the world where they are the production designer, the cinematographer, the director, the, you know what I mean? They, they novel, do everything. Novel writing sometimes can allow you to be um, indulgent. It, Although it demands it, you be indulgent, kind of, it, if you ask it, me. It depends, right? Um, I've actually, this is something that me and uh, my friend Austin have been working working through a little bit in regards to a book that he's writing uh, and co-writing with my dad, and it's a military action novel. So he was kind of having some issue with like the way that the prose was being written because I think he was having concerns like it maybe it was being too descriptive for like and by that i mean um it was so wordy that it actually dragged the action somewhat Mm. and so i you know i i gave it a good think over and i was just kind of like well how do you feel about it in particular because like i can here's the thing though i've read austin's work for forever so i'm very used to it so i might like it but you know i i'm hearing him kind of pick up on um an intuition that he's having right and so he ultimately, like, he did another Passover of the of the manuscript, and like he said, yeah, I've taken out about ten thousand words. So, wow, that's crazy. So I think, and he could be overdoing it is the other possibility. But True. we'll see. We'll see when we read the you know, the next draft. So that's a big thing in screenwriting, pacing. Oh yeah. Because well, it's like a big a, thing in all. I mean, it's a big thing in all writing. I mean, I think there's, I think there's a conception, sort of like what you were saying earlier about how like you're encouraged to be as descriptive and go all out with 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 prose with novels, and it really depends on what you're writing. If right. you're writing something that's like very, like ponderous and philosophical, and you're allowed to sort of linger on a scene, that makes a lot of sense. If you're if you're writing like a sci-fi action book, you only really want to go into detail when it's important. It actually becomes more like, you know, writing a, a, a movie script where you just want to establish stuff and then let the, let the story go. You know, mm. it is, I will say that it is one of the benefits. One of the reasons why you would want to write a novel over, you know, writing anything else is that you would have that freedom to just go all out. Like it's one of the few formats where you're actually allowed to just go on for pages and pages and pages, however you want. And it's the only format where like somebody like, 
you know, like a writer like Ayn Rand could get away with writing hundreds of pages about a philosophical treatise in the middle of a, in the middle of like your emotional climax scene, basically. Yeah. And uh, th- that's important. That's important. But you know, the, it still comes down to the words you choose because yeah. it's the number one reason why I have not and will not read either Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones. I tried reading both of them. Can't do it. The words are too flowery. There's right off the bat in like the first chapter, they're using words to describe things. And I've never heard these words before. <laughs> and, I, and I'm not getting an explanation. So I don't know if it's a made up word by the writer or if it's a word that I need to actually look up. But if I have to do another level of work, I'm not... I'm not sure. fucking doing it. Like, I'm just too busy. I have too many things on my mind. Sure. It's not that instance for me. So that is like a big hangup that I think a lot of writers don't consider is, especially in like the first 10 pages, like you really, like I understand you want to set the tone like, hey, this is a thick fucking book for a reason. But I think you got to ease into that sometimes, right? I mean, granted, I'm coming off like an R.L. Stein goosebumps sixth grade le- reading level. Like that's where, I, that's where I draw the line. That's the thing is, like I, I read Lord of the Rings when I was like 13, and I didn't understand a lot of the words, but I just kept reading because my attitude was just like, well, I don't really know what that word means, but I'll figure it out later on as the, you know, oh, no, when, I'm too impatient. Given the context clues, right? Is because a lot of here's the other thing. And this is kind of my issue with a lot of prose is that a lot of the times, a lot of the words don't even fucking matter. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they become like background details to a sentence where it's like, why did he even need that word? He just put it in for whatever. It doesn't matter. You just kind of keep moving on. And to a certain extent, it sort of exhibits how good a writer can be that you can have words in a sense that aren't even necessary and the person could still pick up what's going on. Mm. I mean, there's so much, there's so much shit in Lord of the Rings that I keep learning about that happened in the book that I don't even remember happening Mm. because it's that kind of a book where there's just a million things happening, uh, both in the present and in the past that it's dense and so i mean it's a rewarding read for people who want to have something that they just want to study right because you're bored of the bible basically (laughs) like like that's kind of like a lot of catholics really get into lord of the rings for that reason is because it kind of has that biblical structure to it to where you get you get upon repeat readings you get very fulfilling like little new details and metaphors that you didn't get previously. That's interesting. And so like, that's why I, that's why I get why people like Lord of the Rings and why people like books that are structured like that. But you have to be like full on fan, like full on nerd to get right. in that level. Um, I, there's Coleman. not a lot. There's not a lot of like prose books. I feel that way about there's like one. And that's like the Illuminatus trilogy. Like I'll go back to that book over and over again because there's like every read I find something new huh. to, to get out of it. So I don't I, have that kind of patience. If I read a book, I'm reading it once. <laughs> <laughs> that's and and that's just that. Like I guess that's just I don't know. I I don't want to call it my style because that's. But just... you do that with studying movies and stuff. 
Absolutely. I watch a movie multiple times. That's the thing. It's like, it doesn't matter. To me, it doesn't matter what the quote unquote text you're using is, right? It's more the added. It's the uh, practice, right? Okay. Like, if the Bible were released as a six DVD box set, like, that's how people would have studied the Bible. That's true. Just rewatching their box set of the Old Testament over and over again. Well, the movie theater is kind of my church. (laughs) <laughs> so i i can i will i will allow it i guess i'm yeah because i watch a movie and i watch it for different things each time like i tried explaining to my wife the other night why i was watching halloween on mute she was like why are you it's you don't even have the captions on i'm like i'm, I'm not watching it for the cap or for the dialogue right now she's like, what are you talking about like <laughs> she didn't understand i'm like There's, i'm not watching for sound design i'm not watching for dialogue i'm not watching for the score i'm watching for the lighting and the camera movements. Yeah. And if I can remove certain distractions, then it helps like me focus in on what I'm supposed to be doing. I watched the newest Harry that, Potter but... movie in Spanish and I didn't understand most of what anybody was. I mean, my Spanish is okay, but I didn't understand most of what anybody was saying, but I could figure out what was going on in the story well enough. And to me, that's, it's, it's a more of a study of like, okay, how well is the visual storytelling going for these? You watched it in Spanish on purpose? <laughs> it was just on, like, I was at my dad's house, and I was just, like, scrolling through the channels, and okay. that was the only thing that was on that I was, like, vaguely interested. I wanted to see what was going on. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was, I've done that with a bunch of different things where I'm just like, I just want to see what this looks like, you know? And then... Mm. It becomes a game of like, okay, can I just figure out what's going on in the story, even if I don't understand? I did that. Um, Oddly enough, we're talking about the Bible and doing this, but I watched The Passion of the Christ. Um, That's a super visual movie, too. We uh, we watched it without the um, subtitles on, and because they they speak whatever Arabic language that it was at that time, supposedly, the entire time. And it came became more like a drinking game type thing where we were making up dialogue to, <laughs> to joke about what they had just said and applying it to the situation. It was like a whose line is it anyway kind of thing. Uh, made the movie a lot of fun. I can say that for the very least. But, I mean, yeah, like the the words that we were choosing, we were go like we were doing like bad Shakespeare. You know, oh, yeah. thou, da, 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 da. And it was adding a layer of texture to it. Well, it wasn't I mean, like we were like, hey, how you doing, Jesus? What's going on? I mean, and that's the other thing is like with the Passion of the Christ, that was an intentional choice made on the part of Mel Gibson because he wanted to try and portray an extremely realistic mm. portrayal, or at least in his mind, realistic portrayal of those events in the Bible, right? Right. And he was just like, well, if we're going to do it realistic, they got to speak Aramaic. So that's going to happen. Which is an interesting thing because I don't know if you saw this. This caught me by surprise the other day. I did not know that this was even a thing that was coming out. In August, on Disney+, Plus, they are releasing a new Predator movie. Yes. Okay, so you didn't know this either. <laughs> no, I didn't. I was watching this because I, I, it's called Prey, right? It's not even, It doesn't have anything called with Predator. And if I had to ask you... What would you expect a new Predator movie is going to be about? Just just ballpark, throw something in the dark. Uh, what would yeah. you guess? Some random so-and-so gets caught up with being hunted by a Predator and then manages to outwit the Predator or teams up with the Predator in some manner to hunt something else. 
this is where it gets really interesting because this is why I think I haven't watched this movie yet and I'm already calling it perfect. The main character is a young girl in, I believe, an Apache Native American tribe. And it's about the predator hunting Native Americans in the wilderness. Like, back before America was discovered by settlers. Okay. They're releasing two different versions. One of them is in English, and the other one is in the native uh, Apache. Again, I don't know if what what, uh, okay. what tribe it actually is. I'm just yeah, yeah. saying that as a Native American stand-in. But to me, that's really fucking interesting. That not is. only not only is the premise great. The you know what I mean. It's not just like some white guy in the jungle again, or Danny Glover on the streets in New York City. The entire landscape shift of the the backdrop, you know, Native American girl, a young girl who's like learning to hunt to be a part of the tribe um, is going up against the predator. Like right off the bat, I'm interested. And then the fact that you can watch it in the native language of that tribe is even cooler to me. Like that choice, not only did they, I'm guessing they did two takes. They did one in English and then they did another one. I don't think it's a dub. Yeah. Or anything like that. That's got me excited. Like I, I legitimately want to watch it in the native version first. I What's don't want to watch it. What's the movie gonna be rated? Probably R. It has Plus. to be. It's a Predator movie. I know. Right? I'm just like... No, there's rated R stuff on Disney Plus now. They oh, there added is? in. Yeah, because they folded in after they purchased uh, 20th Century Fox. Oh. They have the rights to like Die Hard and like all these crazy movies. But what are they gonna do with them? Um, so they put them on Disney Plus, and now like. There's like a um, a warning that pops up uh, before movies that like encourages parents to put on parental controls, yeah, so that they can't do it. Which, by the way, I don't know if you've been watching the new Obi Wan series. I haven't. Unbelievable the the finale episode yesterday. They had a disclaimer. They didn't say the word triggered, but they pretty much danced around the word triggered that people would be upset about. The content of the story in the episode versus traumatizing things represented in the episode. And I say that like there like I've seen things before where they're like trigger warning, there's a rape scene twenty minutes into this show, or sure. you know, there's a brutal curb stomping in American history act, like trigger yeah. warning, blah blah blah. That kind of stuff, as much as I'm kind of against it, I get it. Like I you're sure. gonna you're gonna warn people that they're gonna see things that might have you know, open wounds on whatever experiences they've had in their life. But this was a vaguely worded trigger warning for like Star Wars fans. Like, hey, we're going to fuck some shit up with it, with what you think Star Wars is. We hope you're okay after this. And I was watching it going, where the fuck is the thing that's supposed to be upsetting me? And I guess it was the fact that Obi-Wan was... Was it Jar Jar Binks? No, but I guess it was the fact that, uh, that... Um, Obi Wan fought Anakin, or uh, or fought oh, okay. uh, Darth Vader, and okay. he cut his helmet open. That's it. I don't, I, I don't know. I have to. I've. I gotta watch the episode was again. It Anakin, I, like, was it Anakin's burnt face? That was that yes. supposed to be. I guess for lack. I, I mean, pun not really intended. Scarring. Like, I don't... listen. I would have thought they would have had that disclaimer in front of the the opening episode of this series because. Okay. Because it was the same week 
right? I mean, maybe they didn't have time to do oh, it. Oh shit! I already know what you're talking about because right, it opens the school up with shooting. School shooting, yeah. Right, with Anakin storming the is a flashback to Anakin storming the Jedi Temple and slaughtering yeah. all the kids. And I real like I realized when I watched that, like it made it so apparent. I'm like, Jesus Christ, Anakin was a school shooter. Like that's like yeah. that's fucking the Star Wars equivalent to what happened. Yeah. So I would have expected a disclaimer in front of that episode that's, for that week. That is weird. I uh, gosh, that's a whole other thing in itself because to me, like <laughs> growing up, the rating system seemed to have a, some kind of a logic to it. Yeah. And has slowly like turned into <laughs> I don't know what the point of this is anymore because. Like, I can't tell when we're going to say something is something you should hide your children's eyes from or not. Like, it's... it's Right. Well, it's they're, like, they're fucking boycotting Buzz Lightyear for a lesbian kiss. Like... But they who, put, but there's a lesbian kiss at the end of um, fucking um, the last the turn, Star the, Yeah, the whatever Rise of Skywalker or whatever. The one nobody likes. Granted, granted, that, that was, like, out of focus in the background for less than a second, whereas this was, like... Two prominent characters on screen, just themselves, kissy kissy. Fucking kiss, like who cares? I don't know. You know what it is, and this I I've been wanting to say this out loud, but uh, on Twitter there's way too many crazy people, so I I just keep my mouth shut sometimes. I don't think, in terms of the light year thing, I don't think it's the issue that there's a lesbian kiss. What had happened was, and only the people at Disney know the truth of this. The lesbian kiss was in there. It got edited out. Okay. Now, there was talk that it was edited out because they didn't want to upset, like, Saudi Arabia and um, other, like, very religious-led countries. <laughs> there's so there was... many layers to this, too, after, like, uh... go on, sorry. There's other talk that it was just a... The, that the kiss was inconsequential to the overall plot, so it was cut to make the runtime smaller, like with other cuts. Not just that mm. one thing, but okay. it was part of a slew of cuts. And internal Disney employees said that it was erasure and it was censoring LGBTQ representation and so on and so forth, so Disney put it back in. My understanding, or at least the way I'm understanding it, is if they had just had the lesbian kiss, they had never gotten cut for any reason whatsoever, it would not have gotten the backlash that it's getting. Because I think the the problem that a lot of people have is bowing down to the people that scream and cry about every little thing sure, every time of... something happens. Gosh, that's something. that That is a whole other topic in itself. Especially... I only want to touch on it lightly, which is basically like uh, when you've when you've basically won the cultural battle, step back and let everything else work itself out. Mm. Like like Disney was never like Disney's been on board with all that since well ever. And I don't I didn't follow it closely because I really don't try to get involved with that shit anymore. Well, but no, they, because, they were involved in the whole "Don't Say Gay" bill somehow. Here's what. This is why I was saying this goes deeper, because what happened was that uh, I want to say it was the CEO of Disney. Yep, Bob Check or something, whatever his name had is. Had yeah. a word with the state of Florida about the "Don't Say Gay" bill, and then the governor of Florida was basically like, "Well, we can just take away your tax status." 
for right because they got like tax free for all of disneyland and then that shit went away yeah so my take from this is that okay now disney is like oscillating because they're like oh what do we do what do we do what do we do do we we're now going to lose potentially a huge amount of our paying audience because of this stuff yeah so they're either trying to like throw a bone to be like okay we'll take out the lesbian kissing thing because Apparently that makes people feel upset or whatever. I don't know. My my thing would be if I were at Disney, I just feel like just keep it in, just move on, like right. Forget about it. Like we should have never had said anything. We should have just yeah, keep pushed. on trucking. Yeah, keep on trucking. Like anyway, point is, and it's interesting because that kind of actually plays a little bit into our grander topic, right? Of like, how do you say something? How do you what do you leave in? What do you take out? And I think that, I mean, ultimately, I haven't seen Lightyear. I don't know. If I it's haven't good. either. I'm going to assume that it's probably a decent movie, right? I don't know, but I was definitely, I've definitely been interested seeing the trailers because it looks fun, at the very least. But like, um, I'm not, I'm not impacted in the same way that a lot of people are impacted by the fact that, uh. Like, movies want to include more than just, like, straight white people doing straight white people things. Like, that's... I feel like that's just being... Incorporating more of reality, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. There's plenty of room to have plenty of straight white people things happening in film and television. I do my... (laughs) I do my fair share of it. (laughs) Like, my point is, is, like, when you open up the access to more and more people, you get more and more possibilities of expression and therefore you get like you get permutations in the field of art. You get permutations in society and culture. And so like I'm ultimately like, I think you kind of put, I think you stated earlier, right? Where it's just like, my issue is not at all with that it's happening it's just like the way that sometimes it's executed feels very forced or feels very like uh i was was thinking this the other day when i was watching commercials where (laughs) i have noticed because i watch a lot of tv that almost every single commercial now has an interracial couple or has an interracial couple and i'm thinking to myself you know I know more gay people than I know interracial couples. Maybe it's me, but well, I would be just... more comfortable seeing. And it's nothing against interracial couples, yeah, but I just I, should, I just want to amend what I'm saying too, because it's not just like couple in the strict sense of romantic couple. It's like two people of two different walks yes. of life are in. Like they're not necessarily like they're friends or like. You know, a black guy talks to an Asian guy about this. There and that. are it's never, like, ever, ever two people of uh, two white people on screen at the same time. Yeah, no, we're done. With <laughs> that's, that's it a, just doesn't happen day, anymore. So. Which, but see, here's the thing: is like that, that, that to me feels disingenuine, and because you know, number one, white people, and I'm not saying this as like a supremacy thing. We are literally the dominant majority of. Just numerically, you mean? Yeah, like statistically, there are more white people than there are anything else in the United States. Not in the world, but in the United States. 
in, in you know what I mean like that like and I get like representation is important it's we should absolutely have diversity but like it feels like it's gone a step too far where it's like okay we can't have a white person in this ad at all and well, I'm thinking I to myself know. I mean I don't think that that's the logic I think the logic well, is go ahead the the, the the point that I'm making is that every what you're I think what I think you're about to say is that every company wants to represent different things but when every company does that all of the ads read the same way and it just looks like it's one giant and I hate I'm using this word agenda for like yeah, just to have that thing or whatever and it it feels yeah. it feels like you're getting barrage punched in the face with the the diversity push this and I think is that's like why a lot of people hustle. have issues with it this is like the webtoon ad right where it's just like the way you're trying to word what you want is coming <laughs> off dis- <laughs> you put it right it's disingenuous towards what what you're trying to do I think it's awesome. I don't know. Like I've, I've been thinking about this a lot because I watch, I'll watch commercial television when I'm in the gym. So I've noticed it too. And it's one of those things where I'm like, okay, like this is, this is the new inception horn basically for advertising where it's like, this is the trend we're going to go with. We're going to make sure that we're casting like a cornucopia of identities for our commercials because we right. don't want to just have it be white people on parade. Uh, that's right. not going to reflect well on us culturally, socially. It's a matter of money, right? Because I yeah. think you want to, you, it's the Michael Jordan quote, Republicans buy sneakers too. And that's not necessarily pinpointing on Republicans. It's just saying the people that you might have an issue with as a consumer, that doesn't matter to a company or a business because they are trying to reach as many people as possible to sell their product. And I think the assumption is, is that white people will buy any old shit. We need to market to everybody else. Like, and that's, that actually makes sense to a certain extent to to me. Like that makes a lot of sense because it's like, if you're a company, particularly like, let's say Coca-Cola, there is an issue with Coca-Cola in certain people in the black community. There have been some history with Coca-Cola, like, I can't remember the exact details of it, but like a lot of black community is very Pepsi centric for Mm. reasons having to do with Coke's past racism. So if you're Coca-Cola, you're going to try and be like, okay, we know white people will drink our shit. So how do we get somebody else? Right. How do we get the black community? Well, you see a lot of Coca-Cola commercials where there's more people from black community drinking Coke, right? Who knows if that actually breaks through in advertising, but the logic to me makes sense. If you're an advertiser, you're only like, okay, we want to bring in new demographics yeah. to buy our product. Right. And like, it all sounds very cynical the way I'm saying it, because it is very cynical. It's an extremely cynical sort of industry where they think very precisely in this way of like, how do we get more people to buy more of our stuff? And so, I mean, going back to sort of your original point, it seems disingenuous because it is disingenuous and everybody knows it's disingenuous. And that's except for the people that complain (laughs) because the people that complain think that it's, it's actually making some kind of a difference. And, you know, we don't have access to their internal numbers of Coca-Cola to see if it's working, but they do continue to do it, which leads me to believe they would not be spending the money if it wasn't working. Right. No, exactly. And I think that that's to the point is like, it must, 
it must have some sort of effect. And like I was saying earlier, just on an odds, like if you're looking at this from an odds yeah. point of view, a, um, um, a point of view of like, well, we've got a hundred percent of this one demographic. There's no reason to put any effort yeah. or money into getting them. We need to like shoot for other, and you know maybe the odds aren't in our favor, but it's better than nothing. And why would we want to waste our resources? Yeah, you know, preaching on the to the choir. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like, I think that that is, I think that that has been also sort of the long view for a lot of, for a lot of corporations that adopt sort of the diversity thing is like long view is we want to bring more people to buy our stuff. Right. And, you know, at the same time, making our customers feel like they're morally better people. <laughs> That's the part that I have a problem with. I have an extreme problem with the idea of commerce being used as a, as a mode of like uh, moral justification because at the end of the day, all the people who are selling you this have no, they don't give a fuck about the moral, no. the morals behind it. No. They just know how to play you like a sucker. And right. so they slap a rainbow on their logo this month. And exactly. Target, yeah. you know, Target does their pride month stuff and they make a shit ton of money, but it never changes the course of anything. So like, right. Well, I think it's more so and more so now it's about, you do it so you don't get accused of not supporting it. Do you know what I mean? Like if there's a company, like all the companies right now have the rainbow embedded into their logo. And it's mm -hmm. almost like if, if now you did not put the rainbow on your logo, somebody on Twitter is going to say, well, McDonald's didn't do that. They must not support pride month or whatever. And then one tweet gets retweeted 500,000 times and it becomes a thing. So now you do it so it doesn't go that direction. Is you know everybody knows it cuz like everybody's seen the meme where it's just a collection of company logos that are all draped in the the rainbow. Like that's a common thing on on Twitter now or sure, Facebook sure. or wherever you get your memes. So I think like now it's to, to the point where everybody knows it's a disingenuous move by the company, but that representation is still there. But if you don't do it, that's the bigger thing where it's like, "Oh, McDonald's didn't do it or Nike didn't do it or sure. wh whatever the company may be. And then all of a sudden people start asking, well, are they homophobic? Are they Chick-fil-A 2.0? Are they donating to LGBTQ, you know, charities? Are they da 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 And they start digging. And so it's kind <laughs> well, of like I, it's a shield for a company. I will, I will say that I think we can confirm that the trend will have shifted when we see Chick-fil-A like, raise the pride flag. Really? Like I think they did? did. I think they put the pride flag on their logo or something like that. Then they tweet something and somebody was like, yeah, we're nobody's buying this. <laughs> well, I'll be, I'm, I'll be damned. Um, I'm Googling, keep talking. Well, so anyway, like it's, it's one of those things where for me, it's just like, it's confusing because I generally like human beings regardless of like where they come from in life and what their whatever their situation is like i don't i don't care i want people to be happy and enjoy the things they do what i don't like i said earlier what i don't enjoy is sort of the the aspect of it where where now people make it a point of of holding it over other people morally that yeah. they didn't 
do whatever, like do the thing that is the um, quote-unquote conscientious thing to do or whatever. Like, I, I, I think... I mean, I think we're sort of out of the worst of that in a grander cultural sense. Like, especially with the, I don't know, like hearing all the story with the with the light year stuff, I'm kind of like, okay, I guess people don't don't care about it as much as they used to, and it and shit changes fast, right? Mm. Like, it's one of those things. And that's the other part is like, I'm kind of concerned that because of the way like all of the diversity stuff became a trend. That will only be looked at as a trend 10 years from now. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be 10 years from now, like, watching commercial television while I'm at the gym and being like, oh, we're back to two white guys talking about their power tools. Like, what happened to the what happened to the good old years when it was like, you know, like a, uh, like a black guy talking to an Asian guy or whatever. Like, or it was like two, two women talking about power tools or whatever. Like, yeah, that's gone. And that would that would be that would make it only this very distinct unique point in history that would i think work against the original intention so like that's my concern because the intention comes from a good place yeah it's the execution that's so completely baffling yes that i that's where i get just i get um discombobulated by it that's the only proper way that i can put it well that's what a lot of things get where things get botched is in the execution you know you how many movies have you gone to where you're like that trailer had a really great premise that movie did not live up to that premise or they did not take full uh, grasp of the potential of that premise and i think that's you know that's really the problem of it and that 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 happens when you have group think and i'm not saying that like towards the twitter i'm talking about like company like studio mindset where there's like 12 people in a table and they're all second guessing each other. And you really, you, it, it's, it's great to be in a box as an artist because it forces you to get creative. But when you are in that small a box, it's just important to breathe. And (laughs) that's where I feel like a lot of that stuff ends up going where it's like, well, if we have two black people, one of them's got to be a lesbian. One of them, you know what I mean? Like we only have 30 seconds to sell Clorox. We need to get as many in, we need to get, as they call them in, um, that TV show 30 Rock Twofer, uh, where it was like a, a black guy and a gay man in one, and they called him Twofer because he fulfilled two quotas. And that's kind of the mindset now, I think, right, where, right. where corporate people are going. And while that works on the, the checkboxes, right, it, it doesn't fulfill the realistic world view because I'm not saying there aren't black lesbians or anything like that. I'm just saying that, you know, I don't know if they're looking at statistics of the LGBTQ breakdown of how many, you know, like is the ratio of gay men to lesbians six to one or the reverse of that? You know what I mean? Are they looking at the, the, the known statistics of how many people of color are LGBTQ? Like, are they factoring that in when they do things? Because if I'm watching a TV show or an ad or whatever, and I see a white, two white guys, but they're, gay white guys i'm not relating to them um you know sure. what I mean? like so i'm wondering if they're considering uh, stuff like well, that here's but the other thing is you know the size of a demographic may not matter as much if the money's good so like true, true. as long as it's know. working don't broke if it's not yeah. broke don't fix exactly. it kind of mentality and that's that's probably 100 exactly. the way they're going about it 
uh, is... I do want to correct myself before we go forward. Uh, Chick-fil-A did not drape their logo in the the, the Pride flag. Um, they completely uh, just kind of ignored Pride Month entirely. So, but I thought they were they were done with that thing. Maybe I just saw some some fake news on the internet a couple years ago. Did I ever tell you about in my drawing and storyboarding class? Uh, my professor had talked with us about sort of. Um, there's this idea about how you market Saturday morning cartoons, and the idea was you don't market them to boys. You market them to to like the young girls because the boys are not discriminating. They will watch any old shit. They will buy any old toys. They don't care. Like they just want to, like they yeah. just want to watch things happen on the TV. Girls, on the other hand, are extremely discriminating, and they have very particular needs that they want from a cartoon or from a television show. No, I have not heard this. So. The idea was, he was talking about the idea is when you're pitching a story, think about it from the perspective of trying to pitch it to um, a group of young girls because they're the ones that the executives are trying to aim at because they're the ones that are going to be the audience that they're going to have a harder time getting to watch the show. So I think this is kind of going into that logistically. Like, once again, and I've kind of said this already a couple of times, like, Straight white people will watch any old shit. Like that's straight white that's, guys. Straight white guys in particular will watch any old shit. That's we'll fair. watch. We'll watch reality. We'll watch The Bachelor. Well, Bachelorette. I'm not we'll watching watch, Fire Island right now, so <laughs> that might not be entirely true. We'll watch, you know, whatever dumb soap operas on TV if it happens to be on, and we don't have any other choice. Wrestling. But like, but like you know, like you're saying, like. Women are more discriminating in regards to what they're going to watch. And then just go through the intersectionality of that. Like if you're, if you're, um, if, I'm trying to figure out where to start. Like if you're a black lesbian, you're going to have a much more discriminating, like factor things you're going to factor out. Right? That's you're so just, interesting to me because I never thought anyone would think like that. You're, you're probably going to be a lot less interested in watching two straight white guys talk about straight white guy shit. Like, just on a just on a odds basis. I'm not mm. saying any kind of essentiality. Just like on an odds basis, you're going to be more interested in watching black-related television. Or you're going to be more interested in watching lesbian-related television. So those are, you know, like, Home Improvement is probably going to be a show you're not that interested in watching. So you kind of have to look at it from that sort of, if you're, I'm talking about this from executive mind, by the way. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a whole other different way of thinking that I don't particularly like, but it exists. And it exists sure. very specifically right now, like in this sort of diversity mindset. Because like I said, they're trying to, all these companies are trying to figure out like, what is our, okay, A, our market's kind of imploding because of streaming. Right. Mm. Um, like the whole field of art is changing where people are making millions of dollars just posting random videos on YouTube because they appeal to a very specific targeted audience. Yeah. Or they appeal to some sort of way of um, marketing a story or doing entertainment that we've never done before in the past. 
because it turns out that people really just like listening to people talk ad nauseum about whatever or play video games or whatever. Yeah. So like there's suddenly this moment that I think a lot of executives are going through where they're, they're having a, a crisis. They don't know how to make money anymore because they can't just pump out Die Hard. Like mm, it yeah. isn't like making the bucks like it used to. So what we're seeing, I kind of like to describe it like a shop. They're just trying whatever they can to find what what works, what doesn't work. They're gathering data. And yeah. After this, the deck is shuffled. You're going to see sort of like a new new trends occur from that. So. Why, you know, once again, this goes back to sort of my cynical take on it. And I don't, that's the thing is I don't want it to be cynical. Like I watch um, every, uh, everything everywhere all at once has like a, a lesbian relationship in it. And it's done so well because it's done in a very genuine way where it's about like the daughter character is really worried about how, like how her, her mom and her grandfather perceive her as as coming out basically and it becomes this it becomes a very important part of the story it doesn't take over the story but it's it's there in such a way that you know that it's emotionally not just important to the daughter character it's emotionally important to the mother character Hmm. it's emotionally important to the way that she's trying to figure out how to talk to her daughter about it and it's incredibly well done like it's not it doesn't feel forced it doesn't feel like oddlin it doesn't feel like it does it just feels like it's done right so to me going back to what we what we keep saying is just about execution and how well you do it so language choosing the right words uh it really comes down to efficiency and authenticity i think that was that, that's really the 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 crux of language and i think that's what we've really been talking about as a subtext here for the last 20 minutes with this kind of tangent that we went on. But I do feel like it falls within the, the topic that we've started out to discussing. It's just, you know, choosing the right things requires a good deal of research, but there's also, you know, a factor, and I don't want to get into this because we're wrapping up, but writers tend to be more observational than people. Do you know what I mean? Like the, the oh, quote-unquote yeah. normies. And I feel like a writer, their observation trumps any statistical fact that you find out there. You know what I mean? Like writers can see through the, they can cut through numbers and see the truth of something. And it's, it's just one of those things where I feel like a writer needs to trust their instinct and their own experiences. But you know, it's important to do research, but then, you know, factor in your gut as a contributing factor as just as authentic. If you are a good writer, which if you have not noticed that you are more observational, then you're probably not all that observational. And that's a bad yeah. thing for a writer. But yeah. when you start noticing that about yourself, that you're observational, that's when your observational has just become, you know, <laughs> it's doubled up on itself. Um, that's important. And I think that's what really comes down to is choosing the right language, whether you're talking about words or you're talking about the stories that you're telling the language of cinema, the language of comic books, the language of dialogue, the language, whatever. It really comes down to being selective and being efficient and really being authentic. I think authenticity is the number one thing that any 
any audience wants. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. one of the reasons why there's always outcry about not necessarily like whitewashing, but it's in that same crux where, you know, like a capable actor plays a handicapped person that people get upset about that. And it, it's like, well, this is, this is make believe. This is pretend this is an acting job. Um, but people want that authenticity. They're like, what? There wasn't an actor that had a disability that could have done that role. And that's what it really comes down to. What you have to observe as a writer, as a storyteller, as a creator, when you're telling your language, authenticity is the number one thing. You have to make your audience believe what yeah. is happening is real. That's what they want. Um, and I think that really comes down to the main point about, you know, the takeaway for this episode. It's when you are choosing your language, you that, that's what you really need to boil it down to. Is this authentic? Is this the right thing? Is this real? Yeah. Um, and, you know, and getting across the intended information. Uh, I don't know if you have anything to add to that, but that's pretty much what I've taken away from our conversation yep. this evening. Hundred percent. Yeah, authenticity is definitely, um... <laughs> and also I think that that comes something that I always like to hit on is just like when you're creating your work, make sure you work primarily from your first person experience because mm. that is that is where you're going to get the most jewels and the most gems in terms of like. You know how you how you talk about the world and how you talk about what's important to you. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, we will wrap up this wonderful episode. I want to announce something that I completed it's either yesterday or today, but we are now streaming on Amazon Music Unlimited, Woo! which is kind of cool. Uh, we were not on there for the longest time, but they've more recently in the last couple of months started integrating podcasts and awesome. I've been dragging my feet on figuring out how to get ours on there, but our entire library is now on Amazon music. Um, so if you use that as your primary listening thing and you want to add us it, every Wednesday, when our new episode drops, it will be on Amazon music Unlimited, in addition to Apple music, in addition to Spotify, in addition to YouTube, in addition to uh, anchor and all those weird podcast things that I'm not entirely sure anyone uses, but we are on just about everything. So if that makes it easier for you to listen to us, please check us out and subscribe on uh, Amazon music. You can, uh, again, go back and listen to the entire library, or you can check us out wherever you're currently checking us out. It's all good, but we just figured we'd throw that out there for anybody, uh, that was, preferring that we be on there because personally me on there i like talking to my echo dot and telling it to play a podcast and now i can tell it to do to play us i don't know if it'll work i haven't even tried that out uh but i alexa alexa oh it's unplugged never mind <laughs> i unplugged it to plug in my ring light for the video for youtube i'll test it out later and i'll let you guys know next week anyway thank you guys for tuning in we will talk to you next week good night, good night.